Hi everyone, this is Olga Mack, working from home, building the future of contract, and today I'm with Robin. Robin, please introduce yourself. Okay, hi everyone, I'm Robin Frank. I am a lawyer and a champion of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and I enjoy doing that by speaking at events for CentaForce USA and by doing workshops and trainings and retreats through my other company, Frank Talk, which I founded as a result of my work for Center Force. Tell us about your journey as general counsel and then your uh, your found uh, passion and uh, um, hobby, I guess, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and just I guess life calling for diversity and inclusion. So let me start by saying I'm a late bloomer. I really never found my passion. I, in fact, I got to the point in my career where I just figured, you know what, I'm just going to be the lawyer that I am, make good money, have my security. And something profound happened when I was not going to mention the age. But let me start by saying that 10 years ago, I was general counsel of an energy company in New York. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I never thought I'd find myself sitting in a GC spot. And, um, but you know, I didn't love it. I loved the title. I loved my team. Um, and it was interesting work, but there was really no passion behind it. And in 2018, I was asked to be a speaker at a conference in New York City for women and minorities in the legal industry, all focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, I said yes. But I didn't, I didn't even know what I, I, oh God, I really didn't know what I was getting into. I know that I'm a woman. I know that I understand self-advocacy and I know that I'm of a certain age and that I could lend support to women who are coming up. Um, I stepped into a ballroom filled with amazing women and male allies, all focused on DEI, I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't um, back in 2018. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed the experience so much. I felt so uplifted and I said, you know what? I need more of this. I stewed for three more months in my GC spot. And then I called the owner of CenterForce and I said, look, I don't know what's going on out there, but I need to know more. And to my shock, he said, look, I am not a lawyer. I'm not a woman. I'm an average white guy. I need someone like you. Why don't we talk about you coming to work for me? And in April of 2019, I said yes, and now I'm the GC for Center Force and also the vice president for the diversity division, which focuses on events going all over the country, now virtual, um, focused on every topic under the sun that falls under the DEI heading. Um, I write the content, I do the speaker recruitment, I do the hosting and the moderating, and I love every minute of it. That's a great story. And look, I mean, it doesn't matter where you fall and you find your hobby or passion or calling, as long as you find it. Um, let's talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI. Uh, what does it mean to you? And what do you think sort of the goal of that moment? So from a higher level, because I'll talk later about what it means for companies and their bottom line, but from the standpoint of ethics, morality, and doing the right thing, it means giving people the opportunities that I have been blessed with as a, as a white woman, um, it's, it's really about saying, so I think people get confused between what's, what's equal and what's equity. Okay. Everybody says, well, we all have equality. There's equality with the United States of America, but equality doesn't equal equity. And I've learned through my speakers and my contacts 
contacts in this field that it's about leveling the playing field. It's about standing in the back of the line so someone else can be in the front of the line for a change and saying, this is fair. This is what equity is about. Um, you might not be to blame, but you're still responsible. And that's the way I look at it. We have benefit, benefited and benefited and benefited and disparate groups have not. And it really is appropriate and time to level that playing field. I love it. So when you talk about blame versus responsibility, let's talk a little bit about it because that, there, this, that's a very important and maybe sometimes a subtle point. Uh, and then related to that, what can each of us do to be a responsible citizen and the way we show up? I, I didn't plan to bring this up, but I am extremely passionate about Native Americans. Don't ask me why, that's a whole other story. But because of it, all my pro bono work is in the Native American field. And part of that is that in the summers, not this past summer, but I volunteer on the Pine Ridge Res Reservation and I work with the indigenous community out there. And it's, it's just been an amazing eye opener and a blessing. And one day I was eating in the community dining room because we all live communally. Um, I saw something on the wall that says, None are to blame, but all are responsible. And then I read the article that came from that. And it was about the fact that we have all benefited from being citizens of the United States, but it came at the cost to the people who were here first. And maybe my ancestors who came from Russia and Poland weren't here shooting people. They weren't the colonists that killed the buffalo. But that doesn't mean I haven't benefited from that scenario. So I'm not personally to blame. And in fact, my ancestors aren't to blame, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility to recognize how much suffering the Native Americans have gone through. And it is my responsibility to give back and figure out a way to make things more equitable. So that's um, what I meant by that. What we can do as a community is to really understand what it means to be displaced. And, and I'm gonna use an example, Olga, if you don't mind, that one of my speakers for Center Force gave me. So it is not me being original, but um, so we need to be allies. And more than that, we actually have to be accomplices, which means we have skin in the game. To be a real ally, it's got to hurt. If you're gonna just you know, say, give it lip service, but you're not willing to put yourself in an awkward position, if you hear somebody saying something negative, or if you see someone taking an action where that you can stop, then you're really not being, you're really not showing up. You're saying you're an ally, but you're not. You really have to go further. But I do find that people don't really understand the pain. And one of the things I've heard from my, you know, the people in my world are that they don't understand why, this is my example, why is saying something like all lives matter offensive? And I think that I have a great analogy to share because it always starts with education. So one of the speakers, a woman of color, one of the speakers on a panel that I do um, said, Robin, this is how you explain it. If a house was on fire and the fire department came, would they spray down the entire neighborhood? No, they would focus on the one house that's in flames. And the beauty of that is they'd not only save the house, but they would actually save the whole neighborhood because the fire will not spread. So the people of color in this country are in flames. They're on fire and they've been suffering for hundreds of years. And we they deserve that attention. They deserve for that fire department to come in and take care of that community so that the rest of us, can, well, we will benefit from that. And that's, that's how I explain it. That's a beautiful explanation. 
And maybe if I can say a little bit for a moment about how helping one house can benefit the entire community, uh, how being responsible and doing the right thing, albeit not necessarily taking a blame, how do you think in the end that collectively benefits for everyone? Because I think that's an important point. We get to we get to learn about our neighbors. And as we've seen, look, I, I'm not a good fact person, like I'm not good at data and metrics. My brain doesn't work that way, but you could Google it over and over and over again. Companies and communities that have diversity always do better because you have diversity of thought and you get to learn more about the world and you get to navigate the world in a better way. Um, and you know, it's funny, but I wanted to get into this eventually anyway, um, for people who, who are in corporations and law firms and the like, we all know, I don't have to quote statistics, we all know that a diverse group of team people working together is going to yield better results, more profitability. Um, and you know, it's actually become a business imperative. So I think that personally and professionally, we have to redefine ourselves and evolve so that we are mirroring the, this multicultural world that we're living in. Otherwise you're irrelevant, you're gonna become unprofitable and you're out. So, <laughs> Despite the sort of all the positives and uh, compelling reasons, why do you think that diversity, equity and inclusion have become such hot button topics. Why there's so much energy around it on both sides, on both on support and maybe some criticism. I think it's because we're in a world that is ripe for change. There's a lot of emotion in the world because people have had it. And I think, well, first of all, there's the pandemic. So we've all been confined to our homes and we're all watching these stories unfold like George Floyd. I don't have to go on, I'm not gonna name all the names, but all these awful murders are going on and people are really seeing it and we're all seeing it together. It, it is a collective consciousness that's come together and we're not focused on 20,000 different things. This is really right in front of us every single day. And I, I think there's just sort of been a, a simmering, simmering sort of a powder keg. Um, but again, I do think the silver lining is that, you know, again, I'm big on analogies. If you're going to clean out your closet, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You got to pull all the sweaters out and put it, sort things out, but then you're going to put everything back in a more meaningful way where you can, every sweater is going to have a good spot and you're going to get rid of the old and you're going to bring in the new. And I really think that's what we're going through right now. It's So this is one of the things, again, nothing I say is original. I get all this from my speakers, but um, it's a movement, not a moment. And, and speaking, let's get back to the house for a minute. If you're not going to embrace that, even if it's just a behavioral change, you're going to lose your house. Um, I don't, I can't change hearts and minds, but I can change behavior. And this is what I tell people from a business standpoint every single day. If you don't change the behavior, you're going to end up in the garbage heap with the old sweaters. Um, the hope is that the understanding comes and that the heart follows the mind, but that's up to each person. So we see Increasingly, many companies have various diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. Let's start with maybe why should companies do that? 
and then maybe progress into conversation how to do better. You know, again, here I go with the examples. Um, I think a great example about why companies should do it can be reflected by uh, recounting for people who don't know this, uh, when Nike made Colin Kaepernick their spokesperson. So people think that was really controversial and wow, Nike took a stand and some people were very angry. They were actually burning Nike apparel on social media, if you can believe that. I mean, that to me is crazy. But you know what, Olga, it was not really a big risk. Nike did their research. Nike was smart. They looked at the marketplace and they saw where their greatest supporters are, which are young black athletes. Those are the people who are really buying their products. And they also understood that the world is changing and that they need to change with it and redefine their brand. And this is one thing I did write down because there was no way I was going to remember it because it was numbers. As a result of that ad, the company reported a $6 billion brand value increase and a 31% boost in sales. And P.S. the ad won an Emmy. That was brilliant. Okay, now I know that a lot of companies are not on the same level of Nike, but you know you can move it to a lesser level and take it down a little bit and understand that I think companies, regardless of size, even solopreneurs right now, there is an opportunity to redefine and rebrand themselves from the inside out. And if they're not doing it, their competitors certainly are. On the very further end of the spectrum, on the dark side of the spectrum, Olga, we're both attorneys. You're risking a lawsuit. You're risking saying something offensive and damaging your brand. So again, my message here is get with the program. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the, the program, right? Uh, because to have a program, it's not just about commercial. Uh, there have to be sort of core values and and goals and sort of specific benchmark. Do you have any thoughts and insights about how a company uh, should approach it or even how individuals can approach this sort of exercise of identifying the core values and the goals and, and benchmarks? Like how do you know you're progressing in your diversity, equity, and inclusion in the right way? I'm gonna throw all that out the window and be really controversial here. And 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 very happily, I happened to see an article recently that Elon Musk does this exact thing. So I don't feel like I'm that crazy. I feel like people, the first thing they do is run to these big companies and they bring them in and they have their people watch these boring videos and then check a lot of boxes with quizzes. And there's all these PowerPoints and charts and that's not going to change anything. That's the training that doesn't work. That's the way people just sort of toe the line. They bring in a DEI expert. And by the way, anybody can call themselves an expert. Um, and they just do this very dry sort of checking the box training. And it's funny because another one of my contacts recently told me, and I will not name the financial institution, but a behemoth paid $50,000 for a bunch of videos to show their team. Let me tell you something, $50,000 could go a long way with the, right, with the right trainer or the right group or whatever you wanna call it. I don't think that's the way to go. A prefab, pick it out, pick out the model, stick it on your team is not gonna work. I think what people really need to do is look at these consultants and figure out who is really going to take make it personal. People need to, have people come in and do this. It's a human issue. Okay. We're not talking about best practices for civil procedure or title seven or the penal code. We're talking about 
people, people issues that are emotional and they should be approached and people should be educated in a more human way. I think that one great interactive session, and I'm not saying you only need one, where there's back and forth and people asking questions and, and workshopping it is a lot more effective than having your team sit on a computer and press a button and press a button and take a quiz. No, I'm with you. And, and, and the reality is you, you probably need a combination of things. And uh, some things you can learn through a game and some things is human, human interaction. And definitely we are wired and designed uh, to, to learn from stories and uh, interactions from, with one another. So. Absolutely. Have you seen good examples of companies or people who have implemented it? And if so, what do you think their best practices have been? Well, I guess this is where I do the plug. Um, <laughs> listen, I love CenterForce. I, what I love about CenterForce, and look, again, I left the GC spot to go there. So, you know, I'm not just saying how great they are, but I think that the events that we put on, the reason they're compelling, a couple of reasons. Number one, our speakers, I tell them, do not think of yourself as a panel of experts, think of yourselves as a panel of humans. So we get into these really great conversations and our audience gets into them too, so that I have gotten so many emails from people who have not just said what a great event, but have actually told me about the changes they have made on a personal level, the changes their companies have made. Now, maybe I'm not talking science and metrics and charts and flow charts and Excel spreadsheets. I can't show you that right at this moment and give you the, the metrics and the data, but I can tell you that human beings are telling me that they're walking away from these events prime for change and those, those changes are happening. So I'm going to plug Center Force right there. And I'm also going to plug Frank Talk because we do not do these prefab trainings when people, so because of Center Force and so many people asking me to make referrals and I'm making them all over the place to all these people. And one day I turned to Steve and said, why are we giving this all away? We should be doing it ourselves. We know what we're doing. And so we decided to do it. And like I said, if you don't want to go to a Center Force event or you don't want to come to Frank Talk for that internal training, then pick another vendor that does think that way. It doesn't have to be us. But please do not pay $50,000 for something that some company is going to shoot over to you and that you're going to make your people watch. Please be intentional. And if you're going to spend the money and you do have the budget, then put it in the right place. So let's talk a little bit about it. Let's talk about kind of where to begin. Um, if you want to do something and you want to embrace uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, what is sort of the easy, low-hanging fruits? Where do you recommend that folks begin? You've heard this before, but it always starts with leadership. If leadership isn't buying in, it's going nowhere. So if you're in a position of power, then please you know, please, please make this an imperative. At the same time, a lot of, Olga, what I'm seeing a lot of is people are anointing people as, okay, you're going to be our DEI head, or you're going to be our diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. And just because you have the title does not mean you know anything about it. So, if you're in a company that's sensitive enough and fortunate enough to want to bring it in, then be thoughtful about it. Take responsibility, say, okay, I've got this title now, and this is going to be this area that I'm responsible for, but 
You need to learn about it. I have spent, well, at Great Eastern, when I was at the, when I was GC, I didn't have the language for it, but it was something that I tried very hard to bring in and worked with our HR consultants outside to do it. I just didn't, again, have the vocabulary. But since I came to Center Force, I have been immersed in this for two years, every single day. So again, if it's not me, then make it somebody that really knows this stuff. If you needed root canal, you wouldn't go to your friend to pull your tooth and you certainly wouldn't do it yourself. You'd go to a dentist that specializes in root canal. So I guess it's a little frustrating. I see a lot of people now wearing the DEI hat because it's cool and it's great branding and it makes people think that you're in the know. But when it comes down to it, they're, they don't know what they're doing. So it starts with leadership. Please be thoughtful. Get educated yourselves. Meet with a consultant. Have them set up a blueprint for you or a template or whatever you want to call it, a map, a roadmap to success for your company. And then go and do that work that's in that roadmap and hold yourselves and your team accountable. It's not a one-shot deal. It's not a, okay, we went to this great seminar and now we know what we're doing. It's a work in progress and it has to be part of the DNA of the company or the law firm, just like any other policy would be. That was when you said that, and, and, and it sounds like you were quoting someone, uh, you said it's, 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 it's not a moment, it's a moment. Yes. Um, and, and I think what you're getting at is that this is not just something we do once or twice. This is something we do over a long period of time or maybe even throughout our life, maybe throughout our humanity. And um, it's a little bit parallel to what, when people say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and, and, and that's a very interesting thought. It's sort of an ongoing work. It, it's a work like what I call painting the Golden Gate Bridge. When you're done with it, you start all over. Um, and I guess I wanted to talk about kind of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I guess, as a choice, as a lifestyle, as an ongoing work that we are all doing. And, and maybe why do you see it this way? So there's a difference between episodic and sustainable change. And I, 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 it is my fervent belief that we are shedding an old skin and moving into a new way of thinking and being in the world. Anybody who thinks it's episodic and they're just going to do performative change to kind of, you know, keep people from getting upset, they're fooling themselves because I, I do believe that the lid has blown off. And again, I think it's so much better for our world, for, our, for us personally, professionally, I don't want to get into politics, but I do think that the election is an indication of where the American mind is going. And, and look at the whole world is, is behind those results. So I think that it's people are, are tired of just living in their own little box and only thinking about themselves. I think people are ready for this change. And, and I, hope that it's, I hope that I'm right about that, but I think I am. Let's talk about resources. So, you know, I really like when you said, look, I mean, these days, anyone can be an expert, you know, and in the end, all you have to do is to change your headline on LinkedIn and voila, there you are. You are now an expert. Um, and, um, and then you can kind of go around and you may or may not be the actual one. And, it's, and especially in something like diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, where uh, there is not necessarily um, 
you know, a third body that certifies you or a lot of standards, although I think we see increasingly standards. Um, let's talk about resources. Uh, because some of us, either because we're not in a position to actually design programs or because we don't have time, uh, because it has to be thoughtful, just everything that is uh, well, uh, that is worth doing is worth doing well. Um, what resources do you recommend and, um, and what, do you, what is your initial steps? I consider myself a really good resource for referrals. And like I said, if I think it's something that CenterForce or Frank Talk can do, of course I'm going to say, I'd like you to consider me on your vendor list and let me, let's have a talk. So I'd rather not get specific and I'd rather tell your audience, I, it's the client first. If it's something I feel like I'm good at or my team is good at, I will ask you to let us talk to you about it. But if I know it's out of our wheelhouse, I will get you to the best people and you will be given choices. Because what I usually like to do is give three options based on the three best people in the particular area that I'm being asked for. And I have to tell you, I have, I mean, not that I'm so amazing, but because I care so much about this, I have a pretty good success rate with matching people up. By the way, I used to do recruiting, Olga, Olga, a thousand years ago. So I understand that it's the chemistry has got to be there. The knowledge has to be there and it's got to be the right fit. So it costs nothing to ask for a referral. Um, but again, I find that people making referrals really need to be intentional about it and really consider what the ask is and who they're recommending to make the solution. And as opposed to just sort of throw, I, again, I feel like we're in like a fast food world. Everybody's so ready to plug things in and, and that's just not the way to do it. Do you make um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion resolutions every year or, um, or are you ad hoc about it? So I don't believe in resolutions because I end up forgetting what they were. I think it's important to live it every day, but I do have a journal. And every single day I write, I answer three questions, which I can't remember them all. <laughs> but one has to do with um, my prop. So what are the priorities of the day? The second one is um, what, how can I make those priorities actually happen, which sometimes means cutting things out. And the third thing is what do I need to be grateful for today? And they all, those questions I ask myself are also a DEI lens because everything I do these days is through a DEI lens. I, it's, it's, it's almost like putting on glasses, really a lens. I see the world very differently now. And um, from a personal point of view, it's definitely changed some relationships because, you know, a lot of people in my life are very privileged and I have been privileged, but I have changed and they have not. And I feel that I can't show up for work every day and do this work unless I'm also willing to do it in my personal life. So it's not a hundred percent answer to your question, but I guess I've made a, a life resolution to live very differently. The life resolution. That's an, such an elegant, eloquent way of putting it. Very intriguing. And um, would like to kind of see maybe even more people to do that. Um, since you are, you know, well, I guess, once general counsel, always general counsel. But um, as a general counsel, uh, we see um, lawyers, in-house lawyers specifically, general counsel specifically, lead a lot of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. What do you think about um, general counsel leading it? And do you think that it's an opportunity for general counsel to be seen as leaders? I think it's incumbent upon GCs to embrace the DEI initiative and to hold themselves out as 
not only officers for the company, but officers for DEI. Um, but again, I, I'll stay consistent and say, you need the education, you need the training. Please don't ad hoc it. Please don't say, well, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do and I know what I'm doing. No, you don't necessarily know what you're doing. I wear two hats. I still wear a GC hat. I still do legal work. And I also do this diversity work. And I got to tell you, they're two different hats that I wear. And um, I came to this job. I, I mean, Steve took a chance on me. I only knew DEI from a very sort of informal sort of way. There was a lot to learn. And I would never have considered myself a DEI expert in 2018 or even the beginning of 2019. It's taken a lot for me to feel comfortable and confident in saying that this is an expertise for me. Um, so GCs, please, we want you to take up the mantle, but be thoughtful about what you're saying, how you're going about it, and invest in somebody who really knows the landscape. Do you think general counsel should embrace the opportunity to be the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders? Or do you think they should shy away from it? I think that unless you have the bandwidth, no, because um, it's just way too much. I don't think a head of HR should be the DEI. I actually just spoke to someone who's an HR consultant with a publicly traded company. She's vetting DEI vendors. We had a great conversation. And she was one of the very few who understood that she didn't want to wear the DEI hat, that it's a completely different, it's completely different terrain. She doesn't know anything about it. She supports it, but she knows she needs to bring a consultant in to, she said, the company doesn't want to hire somebody full time, but they also know they've already tried the one shot deal and that didn't work either. So now they're looking to partner with a DEI consultant who will be on a retainer, and we'll partner with HR to bring these um, initiatives about. I'm GC now of a company that's really an event company. It is not a law firm. It is not an energy company. But in the days that I was GC of an energy company, there was no way I could have done this work and the legal work that was required. So I don't think that's a good idea. To conclude our interview, I, I want to maybe for us to give tips to especially in-house lawyers who may be in the beginning of their career, or maybe even middle lawyers or the, toward the end, or even law students who are very passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives and movement, um, and really want to be productive members of that community and maybe even move their organizations and, and the world forward. Uh, what are the tips for lawyers, especially in-house lawyers, especially general counsel in, in-house leaders what each of us can do every day to push this movement of diversity, equity, and inclusion forward. First thing, as I mentioned earlier, is be more than an ally, be an accomplice, get skin in the game, take a stand, speak up, show up, be willing to take the risks that you need to take in order to really make a difference. Because we can talk forever about this and not make any change. The only way to make change is to be the change, which sounds very trite, but it's true. Um, the other thing is keep, stay educated. If you're interested in a topic, you're going to learn about it. So as simple as sitting at your computer, if you have a 15 minute break and type in diversity, equity, inclusion, tons of articles pop up. 
read about it. There are some great books I can recommend, uh, which I will name names. So Minda Hart wrote a book called The Memo. It's about women of color, not just getting a seat at the table, but having a voice at the table. And she actually inspired me to put a panel together for the spring based on that book. Um, there's a book by Dolly Chug. Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember what it's called, but it's about being a goodish person. You can't be a great person, but you can be a goodish person. Don't even try to be a good person. Just make changes here and there that you feel you can make. Um, you know, the, the books we always hear about, like White Fragility and How to Be an Anti-Racist, even if you skim them, you're going to get so much out of them. Learn, educate yourself and speak up. Be willing to take a stand where you need to take a stand. Robin, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I hope we can do it again. Thank you for giving me a platform, Olga. I 